Section 12 of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922, by G. K. Chesterton. Section 12. Hotels and the Sense of Honor, by G. K. Chesterton. I have never gone out of my way to join the critics of Mrs. Asquith, because I think the errors arising from incautious speech are far less dangerous just now than the much larger errors arising from systematic suppression. But I can understand the case against her, which may be summarized by saying that even the virtue of saying what you think will be the better for the other virtue of thinking what you say. But while I can understand the sentiments of those who denounce her as well as those who defend her, there seems to me something very odd about the things they select to denounce. This is notably so in the case of Lord Lee's public protest against her criticism of drink as a sort of secret luxury in American dances. Lord Lee said nothing about her previous and far less defensible eulogy of prohibition as a preventative against drinking among English servants. Now I should have thought, if there was one remark about which even those disposed to defend her must feel a little disappointed in her. It was the latter, and not the former. I confess I gave her credit for a degree of cynical magnanimity that would not condescend to talk about controlling the lower classes, as if they alone required control. But I imagine it was said at random, and I am sure she would be the first to admit that in ordinary decent houses the servants are as sober as their employers and that, in smart, luxurious houses, the employers drink at least as much as the servants. Only it occurs to me that an English gentleman of the better sort, like Lord Lee, representing England in a foreign land, may possibly have said a word in defense of his own countrymen, and not only of the foreigners. I think he might have been the champion of the English poor, as well as of the American rich. As a matter of fact, touching a certain sort of drinking and dancing in smart American hotels, the English lady only said what numbers of sensible American ladies are constantly saying. But in revolving the problem, I came back to a very simple distinction between different kinds of houses, and especially between houses and hotels. Nobody supposes that fine, ordinary parlor-maid opens the front door of a Balham villa reeling like a bacchanate, and nobody supposes that the millions of natural and normal American girls would think of getting drunk at a dance. Where it occurs, in either case, it is in the anarchical atmosphere of particular places, and, as I would suggest, especially semi-public and impersonal places. This sort of luxury and laxity occurs where there is not a definite tradition of domestic responsibility and honor, 
whether the place be a fashionable house or a fashionable hotel but it is not the only kind of evil that comes of such large and loose institutions from this also comes the abuses of capitalism and the loss of the better sense of property ending in that socialist reaction i have been criticizing here last week i paused to reply to two individual criticisms and i will now resume the rounding off of the matter by considering the creative side of ownership in the matter of property we may find an obvious but useful parable in this difference between living in a house and living in a hotel there are some practical conveniences in the hotel but there is first of all a sort of megalomaniac glamour of great spaces and gilded ceilings that is not practical at all a man cannot breakfast at a hundred breakfast tables or sleep in a hundred beds and if he is of so sublime and imaginative and altruism as to delight in the mere thought of all those people having beds and breakfasts why then there is no particular reason why he should not effect the same social and spiritual self-multiplication touching all his neighbors in the street or all his fellow townsmen in the town but as a matter of fact this imaginative interest in others is much rarer in a hotel than in a street or a town and infinitely rarer than it is in a village where there are real private houses there is real interest in private lives sometimes the right and sometimes the wrong sort of interest sometimes the interest of the fisher of men and sometimes of the snarer of souls perhaps the best definition of a modern hotel and its difference from an ancient inn is that in a modern hotel this personal and domestic element is not extended but extinguished an inn is a public house that is also a private house and hotel is a public house that is not a private house at all and its importance in the present case lies first of all in this simple fact that even in the most complex and populous plutocratic hotel a man can only live one life or perhaps if he be sensitive to social atmospheres die one death the late Lord Salisbury disposed of the nonsense about the number of public houses making people drunken by saying that there were a number of bedrooms in Hatfield, but they never made him sleepy. The satire was very sensible, and he may not have noticed that it was a satire on the oligarchic Tory traditions of Hatfield, as well on the idealistic liberal traditions of Upper Tooting. It is out of proportion that a hundred little inns and innkeepers should be destroyed without destroying the hotel cecil that it is quite as much out of proportion even when the tradition is three centuries old that a single solitary guest should live in the hotel cecil and it is both verbally and vitally true that hatfield is the hotel cecil but though an aristocrat might not notice that the case against plutocratic hotels is also the case against aristocratic houses still less would his extreme enemies notice that the case against aristocratic houses is also the case against communist communities in this there is little more than the difference of one letter between the thing called a hotel and the thing called a hostel the two words of course have the same root as each other and the same root as the word hospital they have further the touching similarity that they are both used wrong perverted from the historical meaning and that particular form the word hotel 
was aristocratic. The Hotel de Rohan, let us say, meant the mansion of the noble family of Rohan, and the Hotel Cecil would really mean Hatfield. The word hostel was medieval, and therefore spiritually democratic. It always connoted free services, whether of monks to the poor and sick, or of guildsmen to each other. It was the age of volunteers, and there is the same foundation of charity in the word and the idea. Whether we agree so heartily that we adjourn to celebrate it in a hotel, or disagree so heartily that we end by being removed to a hospital. But all this, though really relevant as a preface, is too much like a parenthesis. The fact which needs to be noted is that the first difference between living in a hotel and living in a house is not a practical difference at all, but a vague atmospheric difference produced by multiplicity and size. The individual's pleasures are still very isolated perhaps more isolated because of the crowd. He has one out of a hundred bedrooms, as a prisoner has one out of a hundred cells, and whatever are the merits of that social order, it is not sociable. At best, there is the romance of personal adventure and accident, but there is no corporate and communal life. It is enough to say here about the great modern hotels, what I have said already about the great modern tea-shops. Let anyone try to create in them a sort of camaraderie and unanimity there can be in a village inn or a wayside public house. Let anyone try and approach the English ladies and gentlemen who freeze each other with their eyes at the Sharing Cross Hotel or the Lord Warden and induce them to shout and cheer like a small and select mob. He will soon be convinced of the first fact in this inquiry into the example of the hotel is a type of more communal life. Whatever these society people want, it is not society. It would be nearer the truth to say that it is size, the vague sense that things are organized on a magnificent scale and cover a multitude of people. And this, the real motive of what we call society, is also the real motive of what we call socialism. But it is when we pass to the practical differences between a house and a hotel that we come to the creative nature of property. I have taken this figure of speech for convenience and clarity, because I do not think everybody understands what we mean by this creative quality. Now a man in a hotel is entirely receptive. He may receive as many things as an average man in an average house. He may receive more things than most modern men in most modern houses. But these things must all be of a certain recognized and conventional character. He cannot add anything to the hotel. If he were to attempt to improve the hotel in any sweeping and striking fashion, his adventures would be somewhat sensational. Indeed, they would be so picturesque that they must, like other thrilling serials, be continued in our next. End of Section 12 Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.